Hey everyone, this is Sky Dylan Robbins and I'm the founder and executive director of the Video Consortium, the organization behind this podcast. I wanted to pop in before the show this week with just a couple of notes. So first, we recorded this great episode a few weeks ago. It was well before the murder of George Floyd and the protests about police brutality and the systemic injustices of our society that we're all finally beginning to talk about. So you will hear that reflected in the intro. You know, Jenny and I talk about only <laughs> the pandemic that we've all been living through. Um, and the second note is that, you know, we're all very aware that we are having a major reckoning in our society. And of course, this is also within our industry at large. Um, and the Video Consortium's 40-plus global team members are all right now having a lot of deep talks about actionable anti-racist steps that we can take as a community to really help radically transform our industry and to really move the needle on making sure that absolutely everyone feels welcome and safe and accepted within our community. So. We're really excited about what's to come, and we'll be making an announcement later this month. And in the meantime, follow along, videoconsortium.com. Of course, we always want to hear about who you want to hear about next on the podcast. We've got some really fantastic conversations and much needed conversations about the ethics of storytelling, who should be telling certain stories and when, etc. all coming up on the show, so stay tuned. And for now, be well, be healthy, and give yourself a hug. We all need that right now. Here's the show. There's often a natural stance if you get network notes of being like, you just don't get our art. Um, but realizing, you know, if, if they're saying this, something doesn't make sense or something's confusing, like you haven't done your job right. And the piece always ends up stronger for just being humble through the process and realizing your job is to get everyone to, to understand. Hey, Jenny. Hey, Sky. How's quarantine? Quarantine is unfortunately still happening. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Here, too. Yeah. And as much as we want to distract you guys from the pandemic that's currently happening, this episode is very pandemic focused, but in a artful and inspiring way. Yeah, totally. It's a positive perspective on it. Totally. So our guest today is Claire Gordon. She is the showrunner of Explained on Netflix, which is produced by Vox Media. I don't know about you, Sky, but I am a big Vox fan. No doubt. Me too. I actually used to write an explainer show for Discovery Channel. Did you? I didn't know that about you, Jenny. Yes. And uh -huh. Vox came on the scene right in the middle of us making that show and we were always so frustrated you. We would write about the same topic and they would just do it so much better than us. So I've been intimately familiar with Vox mm -hmm. explainer videos for a while. Um, I was so excited when they turned their explainer videos on YouTube into explained the series on Netflix. Mm -hmm. Which they have also then turned into explained on Quibi. And a bunch of other different platforms, right? So this, so this theme of like being a brand that explains things for everyone 
it's so simple, but it's so unique and they do it so well on every single platform, especially this, this show on Netflix is fabulous. And things that we feel like we have a, a grasp on, it's really nice to be able to like reliably go to one brand and have those concepts really clearly and consistently broken down in a way that's easy to understand. Absolutely. And especially today, um, when there's so much news about coronavirus being thrown at us from all of these different angles. Yeah, this is basically like what Vox has been training for. Right. (laughs) Yep. Uh, So when coronavirus hit the team at Vox that makes explained, they had to shift to a remote workflow, which is challenging enough. They also amped up production and finished the first episode in just two and a half weeks, which is four times faster than their normal turnaround time for an episode. So it's pretty amazing. I mean, insane, like ridiculous. So we talk about how the team was able to make that shift so quickly to a remote workflow. And then in a broader sense, just how Vox approaches this task of like breaking down complicated topics in a clear and streamlined way. Claire used to be a a producer on Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, uh, which I'm a big fan of. And Mm -hmm. they also do the same thing really well. They're able to break down these really complicated topics. She was able to bring those skills over to Vox to produce Explained. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, how does the saying go? um, If I had more time, I would have made it shorter. Like, the hardest thing to do is taking a concept or a story or whatever and making it accessible and simple and easy for everyone to understand. And I feel like we're really fangirling like I am right now about like Vox in general, but the idea that they do it so well and so pretty as well um, and entertaining is a, is a great thing, you know? Yeah. Their graphics are incredible. So I'm excited to hear it. Their graphics are freaking great yeah (laughs) yeah well maybe we should stop fangirling and we should get to the interview absolutely let's hear from claire jenny (laughs) yeah let's let's let claire speak for herself so this is claire gordon and you're listening to rough cut here we go thank you so much for doing this I was doing a little bit of research on you and I was reading that your first, I don't know if it was your first ever interaction with Vox, but one of your first interactions with Vox was emailing them for a segment that you were producing when you worked on last week tonight. Yes. Can you just relay that story to our listeners? Oh, for, for sure. And I imagine you came across that in an, in an article when like the TV, when this TV show was about to launch and they had um, a reporter come in to talk to us and they like invited me into this room. So it's like all these folks who have worked at Fox for years, established the brand. I'm like the new kid who's like worked there for a month. And I'm just like, you know what? Just don't say anything. Just like, don't say anything bad. Don't like rock the boat. And I just end up talking about abortion in this interview. And of course, like the lead of this article ends up being me talking about abortion. Anyway, the episode of last week tonight, I was working there as a producer and I was uh, doing an episode. It was my first pitch of last week tonight that I was producing um, on uh, abortion laws, uh, state laws restricting abortion around the country, um, which are often called trap laws. And I came across this Vox video where 
And Box was very new at the time. I mean, I'd, I'd heard of it, but I hadn't necessarily seen a lot of their stuff. And I saw this video where they just went out to like Times Square and did like like Vox Pop interviews, folks on the street asking them questions about their views on abortion that were just like framed differently from the normal way you'd ask those questions. Like, are you pro-choice, pro-life, like neither or both or just like interesting phrasings. And then people will just like said really interesting, nuanced answers. Um, like I'm pro-life, but I wouldn't, you know, want to speak for other people. People can do what they want. Um, and so I wanted to use that video, but in digital video fashion, it had like some kind of like electro-y or something music playing through it. And also because Vox was a new company, I wasn't sure how much to trust the way they'd cut the video because it was such a sensitive topic. I also sort of, and this like sounds really bad because now I work at Vox and I deeply trust their journalism, um, but I wanted to get the raw footage. And so I find the, I think Joe Posner was like one of the only, he was like one of two people that worked in the video department at the time. And so I email him asking for the raw and he just like very kindly, very enthusiastically just like sends me all the raw footage of all the interviews, um, which was super sweet. And they didn't at all cut it badly. So anyway, we used that without the music in the episode of last week tonight. And then Joe sends me like a sweet email like a week later asking if he can get tickets to come to the live taping of the episode, to which I respond, no, like I don't have any, I can't give any spare tickets. I'm sorry. Um, and then Joe was the one who recruited me and hired me for this job. And as a wrap gift at the end of this past season, I brought him to see a live taping of Last Week Tonight. <laughs> Just two years later. Those are hot tickets. I've, I've tried to get them myself and I can understand you can't just give them away. Yeah. I, even on staff, you get like eight tickets a season and mine have been like soaring away to, you know, blood relatives. Can I just say that that's really thoughtful reporting? I mean, I feel like a lot of producers would have just been like, oh, I found this video on Vox. Even if Vox wasn't a huge thing at that time, you really did your legwork by like finding the person who did the story and getting the raw footage. I mean, last week tonight had a really rigorous, I, of all the journalistic places I've worked at last week tonight had the most rigorous sort of like fact checking and due diligence operation. Um, and I think that was like partly because it, it, it made pretty provocative content and I, anything like any small thing was going to be latched onto by any possible viewer. So we just wanted to make sure our, our ducks were in a row and that the, the house was in order. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you and Joe just kind of kept in touch or did he just reach out to you years later? He reached out to me years later, kind of randomly. Um, they were, he was, uh, you know, just looking for a showrunner for this new show. They just sold to Netflix and, they, you know, wanted to find someone who had experience in television, ideally in a space where you explain things for 15 to 20 minutes. Um, and they didn't really want to look for someone from a traditional, and they wanted to find like someone with a journalism background, but not traditional TV news, um, because they wanted to, you know, make something that felt very different from traditional TV news. And so he was actually scouting around in the late night world. And it just so so happened that I worked at a show where explaining things in 15 to 20 minutes was was also what we did. Hmm. What skills did you acquire at Last Week Tonight that you brought into this new job at Vox? 
it's um it's interesting now looking back that there are a lot of things at last week tonight process wise that I introduced at the show at explained that I am not sure are traditional for other shows like it but just are, are are common in the late night world things like having sort of like live group script sessions where you put a put the script on a big screen and you have a group of people in there and it's kind of more of a writer's room and you go through line by line and write. But yeah, I think the biggest thing is just the, that the process of like distilling and explanation, it felt like a master class at last week tonight for two years, just even just like watching how the script transformed, mm-hmm. how the, how a draft transformed and our, we would do read throughs. We take the show on Sundays a few hours before it aired and we would do our read-throughs on Friday where we'd sit in a room and John would read through the script and we'd play all the clips. And it would almost always, these segments that were meant to be like 12 or 15 minutes would almost always be twice the length on a Friday night. They'd be like 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then the Friday night, like off until like midnight, and then through the course of Saturday was like this like radical exercise of like culling things and where you saw like this montage, you'd spent like weeks like carefully putting together we're just like swiped away and you like learn to have no emotion about it and like how like it's painful in the moment then what was amazing about last week tonight is you get this amazing payoff every week of watching standing in the wings and like watching your work performed live to a live audience and you just in it and any kind of like anxiety you carried or anger you carried from the last 48 hours of seeing all this stuff stripped away is just like amazingly just like vaporized by seeing an audience respond and you realize that like the piece is so much more powerful for having like yeah that wasn't actually necessary it was like a laugh but it wasn't like important to like Mm -hmm. advancing the arc of the thing Mm -hmm. um so I think just like the writing process of like explaining things tightly and and cutting away the redundant unnecessary stuff um was was a was a big big training for me yeah. Yeah. I mean, in both shows, you're trying to tackle these like extremely nuanced topics, uh, complex topics in a way that doesn't undercut how complicated they are, but still in a way that people can understand, which is a huge challenge. And I'm sure just you go through so many drafts of a script like that. I was listening to an interview with Ezra Klein, like on some podcast a while ago, Ezra Klein, the founder of Vox. And he said something that stuck with me, which is if you're trying to explain something to an audience and they don't understand, it's always your fault. Yeah. And I think that that's so powerful for anyone who's trying to get a complicated idea into a piece of art or a piece of content. Yeah, totally. And that's something that I have to remind myself of all the time because your natural human impulse if someone doesn't get something that you feel is so clear and you spent so much time like perfectly doing the animation to like do it perfectly and like especially when it comes to like getting notes from Netflix and there's often a natural stance if you get network notes of being like you just don't get our art um but realizing you know if you know these people who are giving us notes all have like very like long backgrounds in documentary film, they're smart people. If they're saying this, something doesn't make sense um, or something's confusing, like you haven't done your job right. And the piece, piece always ends up stronger for just being humble through the process and realizing your job is to get everyone to, to understand. 
the one significant difference between doing a show like Last Week Tonight and a show like Explained, which um, I learned very hard and fast when we first started, is that Last Week Tonight, it's pretty easy in 48 hours before you go live with the show to cut the thing down from 30 minutes to 18 minutes because your production is just a guy saying the words to camera and then showing clips when your piece is like a 20 minute like short doc that's like a third detailed animation with like 40 layers in a after effects file you can't just like on a whim two days before you lock decide you want to rewrite that section or decide you want to cut this and like blend these points um that you have to be a lot more like thoughtful about your process for writing and changing the script and approaching animation of not of like knowing which animations to spend time on early which ones might be on the chopping block and it's like d definitely also an art to knowing yeah your order of operations so you don't end up with a ton of wasted animation work and a bunch of very upset animators yeah yeah and you're also taking into consideration that there's a language of writing but then there's also the language of visuals and animation and they're both communicating at the same time whereas last week tonight is basically just host read with the little pictures on the side but mostly you're relying on the script for sure and you don't have and explained you know we don't have any host or on-camera personality at all and so every second of what you're showing has to be sort of like like deliberate and chosen and yeah you don't have any free free visual filler by like a fun personality right smiling at you yeah so let's talk about coronavirus the series yes how did that come about i mean at what point in this pandemic did you guys at vox decide like we need to do a whole series about this um, well, that request actually came from Netflix. I was um, already back at Vox, sort of like planning, gearing up and writing pitches for a normal season three. Um, and there wasn't really, and we had a few people who were planning to, we'd hired some people back from past seasons who were planning to start in a couple of weeks. And then obviously the entire world changed. It was completely every other you know, box production that was like currently in production was suspended. Um, we had this like weird two week moment before staff was starting, like three or four weeks before we were really like going to go into production on like normal episodes. It was really unclear what was going to happen. And it was in this like limbo moment that Netflix reached out and had they had seen um, some of the videos that box had done on YouTube that were explaining parts of um uh, coronavirus and they just asked if we would be able to make sort of content for them make a few episodes of the show for them and so we just had this moment of being like can we because the world seemed to be completely collapsing all around us every other show was being suspended box shut down its office because there were cases in the office another show they tried to move forward on shooting on there someone had been exposed it was just like all felt deeply like confusing and crazy and we just like you know decided that you know our whole mission as a show is to explain things for Netflix's big audience things that are happening in the world that seem confusing and to make them digestible like if you know this is the exact kind of thing and moment that our show exists for 
Um, and we also had a few folks that were already planned on starting. And so, you know, it also meant I had an opportunity to not tell people they didn't have a job. So that was great. Yeah. yeah. When was this? Uh, that was mid-March from us starting to when we pick locked was two and a half weeks. Wow. And what is your normal turnaround time for an episode? Uh, the plan for this season was 10 weeks. 10 weeks per episode? 10 weeks from starting and then five weeks until we lock the script, go into edit, and then five weeks in edit. Wow. How did you do that? Um, That's a really good question. Well, we it was really lucky that we, uh, the second season of our show, we had done an episode called The Next Pandemic Explained, where we were just talking, we talked to a lot of like amazing public health um, workers and Bill Gates, just about the risk, the, the high risk there was for a pandemic. And from our research, it just looked like the likely candidate for the next pandemic would be a respiratory pathogen, potentially like SARS. And so we sort of told the story of SARS. We, you know, worked, hired a crew in China who shot at a wet market and shot at these like um, bat caves, which is where SARS was likely to have originated. And it so it just turned out that we had all this footage that was suddenly like eerily relevant to help explain this moment because this coronavirus is a close cousin of SARS. And we had all these like, you know, highly produced expert interviews that were saying things that were, you know, even more relevant than last time. So we had all this great footage already to work with. Um, so the greatest challenge was just, you know, doing the research now to figure out what we could say now, and then putting that into, and then pulling all those elements into a, into a script that felt felt satisfying and also that wouldn't feel dated and would still be useful given there's a time lag between when we lock and the episode comes out. Um, right. And then, and then all the new animations was also right. the, the big lift. I wondered about that when I was watching it. I was like, how did they get an interview with Bill Gates? And it's a professionally <laughs> shot interview. <laughs> and the footage from China, I was like, did they send someone? That's really lucky about the pandemic episode. Yeah. I mean, it's all terrible, as you said. But. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, that episode came out in uh, November 2019. And so it was a pretty fresh episode. Mm. And that was called The Next Pandemic. And so we called this one This Pandemic. Mm. I imagine it was hard to, even on this really, really accelerated timeline, I imagine it was hard to keep up with the news just because especially late March, early April, every it just felt like every day was a different universe. Yeah, we just tried to always be honest with the audience about the things that we didn't know yet or didn't make too fine a point on. Or whenever we showed data, we were like, this is data from, you know, this date and just trying to be super careful and clear about all of that. And then when we recorded JK Simmons doing his voiceover, we had a bunch of alt lines just in case in the time between we recorded and it launched um, on on platform that we could potentially swap things in. Like we weren't sure whether it was going to like conclusively come out that the coronavirus was airborne. So we have him saying like, the coronavirus like spreads through like coughs, sneezes, and speaking. 
and mm -hmm. hangs in the air and just like had a bunch of different like <laughs> options depending on like what the reality was by the time it came out. Yeah, I was wondering about that too. I mean, it's got to be so challenging when things are changing so fast. And then you've got this celebrity hosting the episode, doing the VO, and you don't want to keep coming back to them and being like, oh, can you do this pickup? Or like, can you add this other line? Like, I don't know J.K. Simmons, but he seems like a pretty, he'd be pretty understanding. Yeah. <laughs> still, it's not something you want to keep bothering someone about. And also just like we had, we sent him a, so like an iPad with like the software preloaded for recording it and a mic and what she mm -hmm. then like sent back. So we also didn't, we also, we just wanted to do it all in one go, but he was super understanding. There were like so many times that, you know, he has this like document with like, you know, next to lines where you have alt lines, it's filled in and, you know, a third of the lines of alt lines, some have like five alt lines. And every time we got to them, we're like, hey, sorry, there's just a bunch of alt lines here because we like don't know what <laughs> reality will be. And he's like, yeah, 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 I get it. So he was like very understanding. Of yeah. The J.K. Simmons part, I'm sure, is just like one layer of how you had to just quickly shift to this remote workflow, especially with all of your employees not being in the office. And I assume that you guys all being there together and making the show, it's very collaborative. Can you talk about some of the challenges of like quickly shifting to a remote workflow? Yeah, I think the, I can't imagine trying to do this with a team of people that I hadn't worked with before. And just because we, I think everyone working on this project had been at the show from the beginning. So everyone knows each other's style of work and has a shorthand with each other. Um, but yeah, going from a world when, you know, I would sit with the producer in, in the edit and we would like watch things down and quickly change or fiddle with things like live and going from that process to a world where the editor has to like upload and export the cut, which can take 30 minutes and he can't touch Premiere during that time. And then we watch it and then like just write notes in a Google Doc and then like send it back. And there's no time to see another cut before it goes off to Netflix. Like I'm not even sure if all the notes like made sense or you had time to address and like, yeah, it's just um, hard. And I think just like everyone was just more forgiving with each other. Like, I'm not going to get annoyed with the editor for not having like understood one of my notes or addressing it in time. And like Netflix was super understanding when, you know, some of their notes weren't addressed or things were rougher. Like everyone knew there was a bit of a game of telephone in the way that we were doing this. So everyone just was a little like, gentler with each other I think and mm -hmm. it just was and we just spent a lot of time on zoom mm, yeah a lot of time on zoom right now yes is there anything that you've done remotely that you think that you'll bring into your normal workflow when people are back in the office like anything you've learned um I, I think the answer should be yes to show that I'm like growing and changing as a person. But honestly, I just like, I just can't wait to get back into an in-person yeah. office. Um, it's even just like little things like being able to walk around and see how my staff is doing. And I know that everyone is dealing with all kinds of various like stressors in their lives right now, whether it's with their other friends or their families. But yeah. it's still, it's like, you know, it's very cool to feel like you're working on a project that a gives you an excuse to like consume coronavirus news all the time and feel that it's like for a purpose and to feel like we're creating 
content that is, you know, helping people in some way understand what's going on and to, you know, just also have a job and to have a team of people who have jobs feels really good. Yeah. I feel um, really lucky. I know everyone feels really lucky. Yeah. Thank you so much, Claire, for doing this. This was so, so interesting and I can't wait to see the rest of the episodes. Thanks so much. It was so great talking, Jenny. Thanks so much for listening. This podcast is hosted and produced by me, Jenny Butler. Sky Dylan Robbins is our co-producer. George Itzak is our booking producer. And our original music is by Zach Wright. And Rough Cut is a part of the Video Consortium, which is a creative community of the world's top emerging nonfiction filmmakers and video journalists. We're scattered all around the globe, and we have chapters in New York, L.A., San Francisco, Washington, D.C., Milan, Paris, and with many more to come. If you want to join and become a member, check us out at videoconsortium.com. And if you want to learn more about Rough Cut, go to roughcutpodcast.com, visit us on Instagram at roughcutpodcast, and go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review, subscribe, and rate our show. 